listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, we are on lucky episode number 113, I believe. It's a, it's a cold Friday in September. I'm teasing. But I am going to open this episode with some of the better career advice I actually think I ever got. And I don't remember who actually gave it to me. When I was coming out of college, I was interviewing for jobs and someone I was interviewing with who evidently did not hire me basically said to me that the most important thing I should look for in my first job out of college was a great manager. So it was less important what I did. It was less important where I worked, but what was really important was working for a great manager, someone that I could learn from in terms of how to be a good manager. And I look back and I think it was really good advice. And I was fortunate to have a couple of really great managers early in my career. And as I reflect on my career, I also look back at like, you know, one of the other pivotal things that you need in in your early first five or 10 years of your career is to work for a company that has a great leader. And if you're fortunate enough to do that, it does help you see what leadership really looks like and what great leadership really looks like. So today, what we're going to do in, in our series on leaders or leadership, we are going to share some of the leaders that we admire the most. I mean, it could be leaders that were part of your life, leaders you see in the world, either you know, whatever framework you took on this one is totally open. So, all right. So you want to start us out? Well, I'm going to start out by saying this. That is some excellent advice you got. I'm going to remember that in talking to my kids because I give my kids lots of advice more than I probably should. And they listen to all of it, right? They don't listen to any of it. <laughs> yes. But this one I'm going to make sure they listen to because it's really good. But I have a question for you Yeah. before we jump in. If you're, you know, wet behind the ears coming out of Ohio State and somebody says, you know, get a good manager, how do you know what a good manager is when you're young and, like I said, wet behind the ears? Well, and I think that was actually the, the hardest part of implementing that advice, you know, but also when you're getting hired, you're not even being interviewed by who your manager will even be, especially if you're an entry-level person. It was challenging. I mean, it, I mean, for me, I mean, I guess if I reflect on that comment and what I did or didn't do around it was just try to take cues in a sense in the interview process of, did I like this person? Was this someone that I thought I could learn from? Was this someone that I thought I would trust and respect? Did they, in the way, what we talked about last time, did they exhibit some level of consistency? As I'm asking them questions, are they pretty consistent with their answers? Are they reacting to the way I'm answering those questions well? You know, those are the, some of the things that I tried to do as it relates to that. But you're right, it was incredibly difficult. I think in the end, I got lucky, right? Because my first two managers were phenomenal. I never met them in the, when I was getting hired in my first job. But they were wonderful managers and I learned so much from both of them. So sometimes I guess you just, you, you get lucky, right? Yeah, and sometimes you get unlucky. Yeah, you do. You know, I know this is, this is not an episode on talent, but that is the number one reason that people leave jobs. It's in every study ever done ever. It's usually their direct manager. When that manager is not a healthy relationship, that's when they leave. And so as a leader, you know, and as a firm owner or whatever, that's maybe the most important thing you can do is make sure that the people that you have that are partners or practice leaders know how to be great managers and know what that means. Because if you don't have that, and then your turnover problems are going to be a problem, <laughs> right? They're going to be bigger than they should be. Absolutely right. Well, my list is... 2,434 deep. 109. Oh, okay. Well, that's not bad. We can get through that. 
I'm not sure where to jump into this. But as I was I was making my list, I noticed that each of these leaders had this unique characteristic that in my mind was really specific to them and how they led. But then they also shared these very similar attributes. And I suspect that these attributes are universal, but these may be attributes that reflect more what's important to me as an underling, as a follower, as a person that says, hey, I'll follow you in the battle if you have these types of of attributes. So we'll have to make sure we cover some of those dimensions as we talk. So, all right, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. So John Paul II, right? How did you know that? <laughs> was I How right? did you know that? Was I actually right? Yes. That's hilarious. Was he on the top of the list? <laughs> yes. That's pretty funny. That is funny. Boy, that's not where I wanted to jump off, but I'll jump off there. Yes. JP2. <laughs> JP2. I love <laughs> that guy. And there were there were three main things that I thought were phenomenal about his his leadership style. And if you talk about leading, man, there's no bigger, more yeah. complex organization yeah. than than the Catholic Church. I mean, global a billion followers. And boy, you talk about complexity. That's one. But uh, what, what I loved about him was his boldness. You know, he, mm-hmm. he spoke things into being. And I think that's what leaders do. I think non-leaders don't understand that that's the function of a leader. And we see this particularly in the press and with some of our political leaders. I don't think the press understands that leaders speak things into being. And, and John Paul II did that incredibly well, in, in particular, how he took on communism. And I, I think changed the world to a large degree. I think John Paul II, along with Reagan and, and others, really forced the collapse of the USSR. But that's a history lesson for another time. But I love that boldness. He always spoke with clarity. That's the other thing I think is really important to leaders. They're very clear. There's there's not ambiguity in the visions and the orders or directions that they're giving to people. It's very clear. But one of the 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 things that I loved about John Paul II was, you know, as a Catholic and as a as a pope, he demonstrated love and humility. And I think the best leaders have that attribute at the core of of who they are. I'm not sure if you remember, but there was an assassination attempt on on his life. And after he recovered, he went to his would-be assassin and forgave him for attempting to kill him. I can't imagine that. But you talk about demonstrating what you believe for others that follow you. You, you can't get a better example than that. And I think John Paul II is just a phenomenal leader. And I think it's so funny that you knew he was on my list. <laughs> well, you want to take a guess at who's on, who's on my list? I think you'll have a hard time, but, but you want to take a stab? Urban Meyer. No, no. no. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no, no way. <laughs> oh, Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a third try. Bo Beckler. 
Oh, God, no. Come on now. <laughs> Turncoat in chief? Kidding me? I'll give a quick sports history lesson. I'll make it super fast. So actually, what's really cool about that, that story is so 68, Ohio State wins the national title. They're phenomenal. Shen Beckler coaches for Ohio State, right? And then he goes to Michigan and becomes the head coach of Michigan. And then he and Woody Hayes are great friends. And in 69, Ohio State is the dominant favorite to win the title again because they bring back all the same guys they had on that 68 team. And they go up to Michigan and they lose 24 to 12, something like that. They go out to the midfield. Woody Hayes looks at Bo Schenbecker and says, God damn it, Bo, you'll never win a game bigger than that in your life. <laughs> and in, a, in an interview at the end of his career, Schenbecker says, you know what? He was right. <laughs> <laughs> It storms off. And that started the 10-year war, which became this like, you know, iconic kind of battle between these two larger-than-life personalities in the sport. So all right, moving on, because our, our listeners really don't care about that. But you know, it's funny. My list was difficult because I, you know, most of the people on my list, you know, it's hard to follow John Paul II, right? Like, like how do you follow that guy? I love some of what you said about, you know, clarity and, and speaking things into being. I really like that concept a lot. So I think that's a really cool thing. So, you know, I'm going to put one on there that actually will probably su- surprise you a little bit, but I, I always really, I really admired Walt Disney. And what I admire about him is, is not necessarily, I don't know what type of individual personal leader he was. In fact, there's been some stories about kind of the way he treated animators during the, the 60s and 70s that really weren't all that nice. But what I always admired about him was just his creativity and innovativeness. And his courage and, and willingness to take acceptable risk, I suppose, and do new things. And the example I'll give is, you know, obviously, you know, when he starts that company, he's a he's an artist and an animator. And I know I've told this story a couple of times, but there's a point where they have a lot of success and they make, and his first big bold risk is to make feature length films. And he has a lot of success there. And then he decides he's going to build a theme park and they, and they all kind of laughed at him like he was crazy, right? You know, like that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Why would you want to do that? That's a terrible business to be in. And he's like, you never seen anybody do the business the way we're going to do it. All right. I guess that's what I always admired about him was just this incredible creativity, innovation, untapping the best in people. You know, you look at some of the stories about the Imagineers and things that happened in the development of the first Disneyland theme park over time and how he just tapped into the creativity of those people and engaged them at a level to produce, you know, some just really, you know, amazing customer experiences and and create the magic that they that they create all the time. So He's, he's always been someone I've really, really admired. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And the fact that the company is still thriving under the principles he established speaks volumes. Yeah, and it's funny because they have, you know, if you look at the history of that company, there was windows when it didn't, right? Like they struggled. And when they rebounded and came back, usually it was going back to the principles, going back to the core principles of we are here to create magic and tell stories. And, and when they did that, then, you know, they succeeded again. He's a really interesting guy to learn about. And it's a really cool company to learn about. And there's so much out there about them that it, it makes it pretty apparent. But, you know, I think it's also important that we we know that with some of these leaders, there's going to be elements of them that you're, you're going to say, oh, boy, he's not a good leader because they do things that maybe you don't respect. And there's definitely been a lot of criticism of the way he treated some of his employees through the years. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's certain things. I, re- I picked them for certain reasons. You know, that's a good segue into my next one. And I have no clue who your second one, your next one is, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Is no matter who's on this list, it's important to understand that they're all human and that they all have foibles. We covered that. And we want to idealize these leaders and think they're perfect, but there's no such thing. And as a matter of fact, I would argue it's the people 
that are authentically flawed and recognized that imperfection in themselves and can approach life humbly as a result of that are going to be the best leaders. And I'm not a big fan of the word vulnerability. It makes me uncomfortable, (laughs) which you would expect. And it's kind of vogue right now. But there is something about letting your guard down and letting people see that you are human gives them the space, if you will, to be human as well. So there are no perfect leaders. And you could argue against any of these people on our list. I don't like their religion. I don't like their politics. I don't like their whatever. That's fine. But I think the mature adult can see by some of those things that are inconsistencies or not aligned with with our individual worldviews. Yeah, no, I think that's important. Which to me, as I said, is a good segue into this next one. And I don't think I could ever create a list on most influential leaders without putting my dad on that list. Nobody knows who he is. They'll never meet him, but they can probably relate to their own dad and the contribution they made to their life and their own leadership style. I had the advantage that I grew up in a family business and I worked for my dad and I got to see my dad lead others. So it's somewhat unique in that regard. But the things that I I loved about my dad and what he taught me, number one is stewardship in a family business of taking care of that business and handing it on to the next generation because your name is on the building is an incredible leadership quality. And I think I see it as a gift that my dad gave me. My dad was also, and and not that he, I think, (laughs) intended it this way, but he was a phenomenal teacher. And I've written blog posts about this, about I started learning about marketing and business when I was in grade school. Every time we'd go to a sporting event or out to dinner or on vacation, he was just dissecting every business, every place we went to and sharing those thoughts on that. I just picked up so much business acumen through osmosis. And yet you went into business anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And then... The other thing he taught me, he was definitely the old school salty dog, tough entrepreneur. And it was really cool to watch him be able to negotiate, whether it's with customers or vendors and be tough, but understanding and fair. And he really got, you know, that win-win type of relationship and set a really good example. But for as tough as his exterior was, because my dad was definitely not the vulnerable type, not that I ever got to see it because this was something that he did so well, was his generosity behind the scenes. I would hear stories from individuals who would come up to me and say things like, did you know that your dad did X for me? And my dad would never talk about any of these things that he did, whether it was giving money or giving somebody a job or helping somebody out in, you know, dire straits or some other way. He would do that and nobody knew it was going on. He just did it. And I think real leaders do that with their people, right? They understand what's going on in their lives and they're there for them. 
and they can keep confidence and not share that stuff. And people can come to them when they're in need and leaders are, and we said this before, and I think in our last last podcast, you know, it's the whole person, you know, it's people first. And he did that well. So anyway, nobody's going to meet my dad, but he's on the list and I bet you theirs would be too. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing because if you stop and think about it, it's like as anybody who is a parent here, if your kids end up doing a list like this, you always hope you're on it, right? You hope that you're that person that influences them in a big way and that they they look up to and think, boy, I got so much from my dad or my mom and they, they taught me so much. I learned so much. It's interesting because I have multiple people that are jumping off the page to me that are like that. And that's why I put them on the list. There's a guy, and I won't, I won't spend a ton of time on him, but there's a guy here in town. And I, I, it was a company I worked with briefly called Loeb Electric. And the owner is a guy named Charles Loeb. And he's very similar to your dad in the, some of the ways that you described. And that he was thrust in, it's a fourth generation family business. He was thrust into leadership kind of unexpectedly at a very young age. And he stewarded that company to tremendous growth. I only worked with him for a couple of months on a consulting basis. And what really impressed me with him was it's an electrical distribution company, was just his empathy. And he could relate to anybody. He could relate to the senior leader of a major Fortune 500 company who he counted as clients. And he could relate to the single residential electrician operator that would that walked into his stores. And he had empathy for all of them and anybody in between. It was really a remarkable thing to see how genuine a person he was despite all their tremendous success and how much everybody at every level of that organization and beyond respected him and the industry and everything around and still do, of course. It comes back to what you just said. It's just that you just sort of like being consistent in the values and being consistent in how they work and how they approach people and how they relate to people, no matter who they are. And I always respected people that had that type of sort of human characteristic. And I think it's really important in a leader that you can do that, that you can recognize that you're not, you know, just because you're the CEO and you're, and you make 375 times the average salary at this point in time, right? doesn't mean that you're somehow better than everybody else. The people that find a way to relate to everyone, I think is really, really critical. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right. My next one. Yeah. I'm going to create this, you know, kind of overarching category, but I'll put a name on it and then a couple of others. I'm going to say Coach K of Duke oh. basketball. Yeah. But I could throw, you know, my high school football coach in there, Bo Schembechler. I like Fitzgerald. At, you can't put Bo on any list of anything that's important. At Northwestern, Lou Holtz. We all have that kind of coaching icon that motivates us. Wooden would be another one I would put on there. They represent, I think, kind of the quintessential qualities that enable growth in any firm, but very much in a professional services firm, given the characteristics of these firms and the BS of PS. And there are these qualities. And and like I said, I'll use Coach K. I get the sense that Coach K really cares about his players and the nature of the relationships that he has after they're no longer playing with him on the Duke team, I think is testament to 
the nature of the relationship he forms with his players, that he sincerely cares about them, not just as basketball players and how they perform and using them to achieve his ends, i.e. a national title. I would put Nick Saban in that category. Nick Saban would not be on this list. Even though Nick Saban produces lots of wins, I don't think Nick Saban would be the type of leader that I would look up to. And that would be one of the main reasons is I don't feel like he cares about his players, but Coach K does. Second, and I think most coaches do this, but I think Coach K does it incredibly well, and that's getting the most out of their teams. And coaches have to play with the players they have, whether that's because they they had, you know, this is who they could get recruited or they have injuries or whatever the case may be. You have to get the most out of the players that you have. And in order to do that, you need to understand each one of them and what motivates them. And I just feel like Coach K does that. All the great ones do that. They get the most out of their teams. And that's really what this this podcast series is about, is about unleashing potential of your firm that manifests as growth. But with the growth comes, you know, opportunity for individual growth and rewards and any number of different opportunities that comes out of that. And the more of that is available, there's the more that we have to reach inside ourselves and and find and, and deliver. And I think, you know, Coach K does that really well. And then the third, and I'll call it the final, but it wouldn't be my final, is I love how these coaches prepare their teams, both of teaching the fundamentals over and over and over and over of getting the basic building blocks and then taking those building blocks and applying them in in so many different ways. And whether that's making a free throw shot, right? That's pretty basic. But how many games has Coach K won because his team makes those critical free throw shots at the end of the game, that just comes from hard work, repetition, repeating the basics. But then I think the best coaches take those basics and they create a game plan. They understand their competitors incredibly well. They understand their strengths and how they can exploit the strengths of their team against the weaknesses of the other team. And man, whenever there's a game on the line, you know that Coach K is going to have a game plan to attack it. And I would throw Nick Saban into this category. Nobody develops a better game plan than Nick Saban. He figures it out and and drills it. But I like Coach K. He cares about his players, gets the most out of his team as a result, and drills those basics and applies it uniquely in, in every game plan. You know, sports is so rife with obviously, you know, leadership examples. And one of the things I actually do like about them, people don't know this, is that, you know, if you go back into the 80s and or in the early 90s, Duke had never won a national title and they, and they really were struggling to get over the hump. They would get to the Final Four and come up short again and again and again and again. And in fact, I had some friends who were Duke fans. I used to tease them about it all the time. I was like, you guys are never going to do it, you know? But what's really cool about him is he's, he's a very principled leader. And my understanding is, is that when they won the, the, some of those early titles back in the early 90s, he refused to hang the national championship banner inside the arena until 
every kid on that team graduated the university. And I always thought that was a pretty cool thing. He was a very principled leader. He basically saying, this is important to me. I mean, I'm, yes, I'm here to win titles. And yes, I'm here to develop you as basketball players. But I really want you to come here and get an education. I really want you to leave here. And that was important to him or is important to him. And he, as we talked last time, that notion of consistency and holding true to a set of principles that you firmly believe in and not wavering on those principles, even when there was probably a ton of pressure to do so, right? <laughs> Can you imagine um, like all this pent up anxiousness to hang this banner to, to celebrate the achievement they had been chasing for years and he didn't do it. And it was like a decade or more before he finally was able to hang that first banner. <laughs> it's it pretty cool. I admire people that when no one's looking, or even when people are really looking, and there's a lot of pressure to do so. Just don't waver from what they believe. And I think that's a really important leadership characteristic. So, all right, how are we doing on time? Oh man, we are over. Holy cow! I got engrossed in this, and I let us go long. All right, so since we are at a wrap point, is there one leader on your list that you're burning to share? Like, I really got to get this one person out because if I don't get them out, then we've missed a, a key dimension of all this. Yeah, except I'm going to do this in. Uh unique way. Okay. I'm going to give you three names. Okay. And all three- I'm going to have to guess how they relate. (laughs) Well, no, it'll be really easy. Really easy. And the names are Ted Harrow, Jay Labs, Brian Caffarelli. Mm, Yeah. All three of these people have been guests on this podcast and they've been guests on this podcast because they are phenomenal leaders in their own right and manifest all of these qualities that we just described. And I'd encourage our listeners, if you have not listened to our interviews of those three, go back and listen to them. And you'll see, you know, these characteristics of vision setting, of speaking things into being, of clarity, of building up others as leaders because they sincerely care about them. Those three are just three excellent examples of everyday professional services leaders. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you sharing this because I had them on my list as well. And Jay in particular, the characteristic of him that I want to kind of just 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 underline that I think is an important one we haven't talked about today is just empathy. I think he has this incredible wealth of empathy for his people and wanting them to be successful and knowing that when they're successful, then his firm will be successful. And you can just hear it in his voice and you can hear it in the way he talks. And it's just a really cool thing. And and he's just been successful again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, you know, he's obviously found that magic, that secret sauce of what it takes to really grow and scale a firm. And there's so many lessons in just that one short episode we have with him. So, all right, boss. Well, this was good. We we ran a little bit long, but covered a lot of ground. I mean, you know, from the Pope to Disney to, to Duke basketball, <laughs> I mean, probably a pretty, pretty wide and varied range of topics for a, a podcast on professional services marketing, but. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. All right. So, so the parting thought on, I'm going to have a link to my last one because I think it's really important but we were out of time and that's Bono lead singer of YouTube. Oh, so did not see that coming out of here. No, no. So I'll put a, I'll put a link to a video that I think demonstrates that. Cool. All right. Well, this was fun. I enjoyed the leadership series and talk to you next week. All right, leaders go unleash the growth potential Layton in your firms, knock it out of the park. <laughs> see you buddy. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. 
Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.